In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Anyone who's spent a little bit of time around children knows that they love to play different parts in the stories they watch or read. They like to pretend to be moms or dads, teachers or police officers. They play house or church. They echo the things we do and say. They pretend to be Batman catching Joker or Moana sailing beyond the reef to find Maui, even if it's a wheelbarrow in the backyard. They do this because, in part, they want to see themselves in the story. And when it comes to Jesus' parables, we do the same thing. We try to find ourselves in his stories. We identify with the younger or the older son from the parable of the prodigal son last week. Or maybe we identify with both. We see ourselves as the lost sheep that the good shepherd rescues and brings home. We are the pearl that's buried in the field for whom Jesus gives up all that he has, buys the field, and finds and rescues us. Most of the time, it's easy to find our place in Jesus' parables. But when we hear the parable of the wicked tenants today from Luke 20, it proves a little bit more challenging. Where and how do we find ourselves in a parable that Jesus delivers to religious leaders back in his day? St. Luke tells us at the end of the parable a little bit of a hint about how they reacted because, well, they were outraged. This was just one more reason that Jesus had to be dealt with, and soon. The, Je- the Pharisees, in other words, saw themselves, as Jesus intended them to, in the parable. And they didn't like what they heard. So on the one hand, it's a parable about the salvation history of Israel, about God's pursuing and persistent and patient love throughout the entire Old Testament, sending prophet after prophet to his people. On the other hand, it's also a tragic story one of rejection and rebellion and unbelief of his people in the face of Jesus the Savior. The man planted a vineyard, Jesus goes on to say, and led it out to tenant farmers who were supposed to tend it and give it a share of the harvest. So he sent a servant to collect, and he was beaten and sent away empty-handed. He sent another. He was mocked and scorned, sent away empty-handed too. Sent a third. They wounded him, they cast him out. Finally, he said, I'll send my son, my beloved son. They took one look at the son, said, this is the heir. Let's kill him. The inheritance will be ours then. So they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. It's no accident that Jesus tells this parable during Holy Week. It's like a raging river next to a levee. Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders has been building and swelling for years now. As the week inches closer to Passover and closer to Good Friday, the religious leaders' unbelief and their rejection of Jesus reaches a flood stage. It crests. Jesus proclaims this parable even as he knows the dam is about to burst and rejection and mockery and pain and sin and death will pour over him like Noah's flood, and he will be rejected. He will be thrown out of the vineyard as his very parable predicts. He'll be killed just as he promised. The Pharisees were right in a way. Jesus did speak this parable against them. What then will the owners of the vineyard do to them, he concludes? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. To the religious leaders, this was a word of judgment, a warning, 
It was a call to repentance against their rejection of Jesus. Jesus was against them, but in order to bring them to abandon, to give up their rejection of him, instead to find in him redemption and rescue. Jesus, you see, only brings down the gavel on those who foolishly, foolishly reject that free salvation that Jesus gives. He only brings judgment on those who think that judgment is based on our own goodness and our own works and our own bookkeeping, like the Pharisees. See, the world is saved in one way only, by Jesus' death and passion and resurrection for us. Not by any devices or works or things of belief or unbelief that the Pharisees or anybody else takes refuge in. So in a great, grand, and gracious paradox, Jesus comes not to judge, but to be judged. To stand in judgment in our place. And yet that is precisely why he is rejected. And yet in his rejection by those religious leaders that he was teaching to, even there in his rejection he dies for all, even for those who rejected him. As he says, quoting the Psalms, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. You see, that's what the Pharisees were missing in Jesus' teaching. There's no way to get around Christ the cornerstone. Either we fall on Jesus in broken-hearted, empty-handed, beggarly repentance, or we're crushed by the weight of trying to earn our own salvation and the resistance that comes from our own self-justifying ways. Either way, an encounter with Jesus leads us broken. It's just a matter of which way. Broken in self-righteousness or broken in repentance and restored in forgiveness. And so that brings us back to the question we started with at the beginning of this parable. Where do we find ourselves in this story? What does this parable directed against Israel's religious leaders in the first century have to say to us now, today, here in the 21st century? Quite a lot, in fact. Jesus' parable, for one, is a reminder that we are his. It's a reminder of who we are as his church, his people. A reminder of why we are here. After all, it is not my church any more than it is your church. We together as God's people are the Lord's church. We are his vineyard. We are tenant farmers of the vineyard and he's the owner. We are therefore stewards of everything that God gives us, which is, well, everything because all that we have in life, in home, in church, in our communities, at work, wherever we are, God gives us his abundant gifts. Everything we have is from him. So we are stewards, tenants. And we are stewards and tenants not by our own reason or strength, but by God's pure grace in Christ. Heirs means you've inherited something outside of your own doing. In fact, heirs by the death of the Son. That there is the twist, the important part of this parable, in fact. The death of the Son is the life of the world. The death of the Son gives you his inheritance. The death of the Son is our forgiveness, life, salvation, our justification before our Lord. Jesus becomes the tenant on our behalf. 
He puts himself into the story of our fallen world and our sin and death. And he takes on a new, a new ending for us. The shameful mistreatments of the servants, Jesus paid the price for that. The covetous greed that wants the vineyard all for ourselves, Jesus takes that sin from you too. The murder of the vineyard's own son, Jesus takes the fall for that as well. Our mistakes, our excuses, our sins, our hurts of others, our brokenness, Jesus takes all of it, every last one, upon himself. He is the one who has the vineyard taken away. He is the one who has his life taken away. He is the one who becomes destroyed and killed on the cross so that in him, our story, our identity, our being is rewritten, given a new identity, a new creation. Jesus performs a great exchange, you see. He trades our unholiness for his holiness. All of our sinful badness for his perfect goodness. Our death for his life. The son is killed for you. And the inheritance is yours. Today and forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.